A series of documents is found with nuclear secrets in Mar-a-Lago. So we'll be talking just a bit about what's happening with that. In other news, Taiwan suppliers have asked... Uh, I'm sorry, Taiwan suppliers are asked to use the Made in China label on Apple products as they're coming back out of there because, well, they consider China to be a part, or Taiwan to be a part of the mainland. In other news... A shooting in Jerusalem has injured eight Americans, including a Brooklyn father, so we'll be talking just a bit about what's happening with that. And Cards Against Humanity makes a statement, and they donate to pro-abortion causes. It is going to be all of this and more. Welcome back to election season. I am Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Uh, something bouncing over on my uh, on my microphone here. I have no idea what I'm picking up off of the back of there, but there's something bouncing the audio. So you guys are gonna have to tell me how the audio is as we go here. I pulled the gain back a little bit because it looked like I was peaking again. But yeah, I went in and I hit the microphone and I, I had no output. And when I went in my settings, my microphone was set to some weird series of digits that i had no idea what they were so we're gonna have to go with this and we're gonna have to see with this i have no idea how my audio is doing i tried to listen back a little bit to it through the uh, twitch app on my phone but i know it's going to echo back through as we go but i also do have this recording right now so both i can put it back up to youtube after i'm off the naughty boy list off to the main channel and also so i can put it back up in the audio platform so while i'm editing i'm going to get a good clear sound of what it is that we're hearing and what it is you guys are thinking of so um i'll be kind of watching the chat a little bit closer today just to see what the audio sounds like but yeah it's um 
That was craziness, and I had a mini panic attack when I realized that I had absolutely no audio output coming from my microphone. Um, is the volume okay? That's going to be the, the first question I have for that, and it does look like we are down a little bit here, so let me give myself a little bit more gain. go that far yeah while I was uh, setting up and doing the opening I could see that I was peeking out so yeah if you hear any cracks or peeking let me know and we'll adjust the gain a little bit as we go but it's yeah when you get in and you start going into your intro and you don't see the audio bar bouncing it's uh it's a little bit of a panic attack to go but we've got a lot of news gets to go over and we've already got a late start here because of this so let's get into it let's get started so we don't bleed too far over onto the daily ignoramus but before we do make sure you guys go check out great programming like the daily ignoramus the breakdown with birkenhoff the already conservative and the porch boys go and check all of those out they are great friends to liberty, they are great friends to the American way, and they may have different ideas on how to do so, but it's a great way to get culture and news from the people, from the common man for the common man, so go check all of them out. We will probably be raiding right into the Daily Ignoramus today, if he's screaming today, which I'm not sure where he's going with that, but we'll continue to watch that and see where that goes. And let's get started, because we have got a lot. All right. Starting in with the Dow, the Dow was up a little bit over 400 points through Friday, up to 33,761.05. And as we can see, everything reset because A, we got a really late start, and B, we had an even later start because technical difficulties. But as you can see, through Friday, there was a little bit of a chop in the beginning of the trading day, and then a steady climb throughout the day. So we'll see what happens with that. It does look like the futures are looking down right now. So... We will see where we go with that and what we do. Uh, Arbolt wants me to take it back down just a little bit. So let's do that. All right, let's see how that goes. Uh, looking in at the Bitcoin and we'll assess as we go out through the day. Uh, the Bitcoin throughout the day, let's get a refresh off of that. Uh, has come up and come back down, coming in and steadying off at a steady to 23,955.30, bringing it out to the five day and seeing what it did over the weekend. It had a very significant spike over the weekend, and then another significant drop to go through, and then another significant rise, bringing itself back down to the point that it was. A little bit of a chop going through Friday as well, so we'll continue to watch this and see where this goes throughout the week and throughout the weekend. Looking in at your fuel, well, I don't have good news for that. I noticed that uh, all of our friends over to the left who were championing the fact that gas has dropped for five days, six days, seven days, 40 days, 50 days straight. Why isn't the news talking about this? Well, as we can see, because we look at this every single weekday, we still have a couple of 338s. It was 336 when we got started through everything, but we are down up to a couple of 338s as we go. And, unfortunately for the majority of that, the gas in Madison has come up th uh, 11 to 13 cents throughout the rest of the Madison area with just those couple stragglers hanging on. And it's a Costco on Hepker Road, which is not a usual place for people to get fuel, and a Senex in Sun Prairie are the two that are holding down, which, again, these are not usually the lively spots. Around Wisconsin, and you can see as we go through here, a lot of quick trip. 
because that's where Wisconsin people prefer to go for their convenience and therefore they typically go over there for their gas as well but we've also got the BP the Casey's and such like that and yeah this is not some good news by any stretch of the imagination I look down over in Janesville it's up uh, a good 20 cents over where it was in town here it's probably about 15 cents up so yeah those prices are coming back just in time for the midterms I wonder if we'll get back up above four I hope not God, do I hope not, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering right now where we're going to land with that and where that goes. All right, let's see what IBD has to say for the morning. From Investor's Business Daily, Dow futures fall, market rally runs up to key, test Tesla rival tumbles from Ed Carson. Dow futures fell modestly Monday morning along with the S&P and the NASDAQ, while crude oil prices tumbled amid weak Chinese economic data. Chinese Tesla rival Li Auto sank on weak revenue and guidance. The stock market rally had another strong week, moving up to a major test. A market pause wouldn't be a surprise and could be a healthy after strong gains in generally light volume over the past several weeks. Investors should be cautious about adding more exposure. Diversified oil giant ExxonMobil has been setting up near possible entries as energy stocks took the lead once again. Costco has a cup with handle base, though several key rivals are reporting this coming week. United Health has traded tightly within a buy zone, creating another entry. Apple is moving close to a breakout as Apple stock is outperforming other mega caps. Microsoft is closing in on its 200-day line, which could offer a chance to start a position. Chinese EV startup Li Auto reported earnings before Monday's open, with guidance falling well short. Lee Auto Stock has been among the better EV stocks outperforming giants BYD and Tesla, but it has fallen below its 50-day line. BYD is below its 50-day line, while Tesla is just below its 200-day line. United Health is on the IBD leaderboard and was Friday's IBD stock of the day. Microsoft is an IBD long-term leader. On the futures, Dow futures fell 0.6% versus fair value. The S&P lost 0.65% and the NASDAQ declined a half percent. China unexpectedly cut some key interest rates amid continued weak economic data. Overnight, China's July retail sales rose 2.7% versus a year earlier, well below views for 5%. Industrial production climbed 3.8% below targets for 4.6%. China's jobless rate for 16 to 24-year-olds hit a record 19.9%. Crude steel output fell 6.4%. Crude oil futures fell 5%. Natural gas sank 2%. Copper prices skidded 3%. The 10-year yield fell 2 basis points to 2.83%. And remember, overnight action in Dow Futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Yo, if I was an investor right now, I would be scared. When I look down and I see the gas suddenly starting to rebound by double-digit cents per gallon, I'd start looking into this to say, are we going right back to where we were? Are we going, coming back into this now? There's an opportunity for investors to come back in and get into the energy sector and try to make something out of this, but it's going to come down to a matter of who's going to be smart enough to do it and where they're going to go with that and how that is going to affect your 401k. I found out that a retiree that I know recently went out and took all of his money out of the stock market out of the 401k because in one quarter throughout this year he lost thirty thousand dollars out of his retirement because of the way the stock market is going 
So that's something to pay attention to. And of course, this is not official financial advice. This is never official financial advice, but it's still something that you need to be watching and paying attention to so that you do have a nest egg, whether it's to retire on or something to try to play the stocks and try to put yourself in to an independent uh, fortune. But that's what we're going to continue to watch out of this. This is where we're going to continue to go. Let's grab one from CNBC talking about Friday's close and we will get into the main news of the day. From CNBC, Dow closes up 400 points. S&P 500 rises for fourth straight week as investors warm to cooler inflation. And then the gas started coming back up. From Jesse Pound. Stocks rose sharply on Friday, clinching a fourth straight positive week for the S&P as investors celebrated signs that inflation may be peaking. The Dow added 424.38 uh, points or 1.27% to close at 33,761.05. The S&P gained 1.73 to finish at 42,8015 and the Nasdaq surged 2.09% to 13,047.19. The S&P rose 3.26% on the week, notching its longest weekly winning streak. Since November of 2021, the Dow was up 2.92% for the week, while the Nasdaq moved higher by 3.08. For the NASDAQ, it was also the fourth positive week in a row. The averages have been boosted by positive news on the inflation front. The consumer price index was flat from June to July, thanks in large part to falling gas prices. No, thanks entirely to falling gas prices. And remember, we looked at the chart and the heating oil that was driving the drop, 11%, was not seasonally adjusted. If you seasonally adjust for that, because as I mentioned, nobody's using it right now, I bet you we crack just a little bit of inflation, maybe 0.3. But they're gonna to continue to try to gaslight. You say, there's no more inflation, it's over. The producer price index showed a surprise decline. On Friday, import prices fell more than expected. This week's moves have extended a market rally off its mid-June lows. The S&P gained 16.7% since the lows and has cut losses from peaks in half. The Dow has gained nearly 13% and the Nasdaq has rebounded 22.6%. This positive news temporarily bolstered investor confidence as we saw by the futures today, leading some to believe that recent gains are more than a typical bear market rally. We're not arguing that the market will make new highs this year, we're more in the trading range camp, but we would not be surprised to see a run towards highs as inflation eases and the Fed slows the price of rate hikes. Michael Darda, chief economist and market strategist at MK and Partners said in a note, and this is some of the danger. And of course, again, not official financial advice, not official legally actionable financial advice, but one thing to watch for this is, we still have a lot of year left to go before the midterms and before the year is over as well. There's a lot of places for things to go wrong and these investors seem to be looking short term. They saw the inflation hit or honk honk 0% and they started going in and they started going into a buying frenzy as what we see coming back throughout the week. And I do think this is a false positive. And I think that a lot of investors are gonna get burned off of this not official financial advice, but it's something to watch for. It is something to pay attention to right now as we sit and figure out where this is going to go, what we're going to do with this, and both how this is going to be affected by policy in the midterms, 
and what's going to happen with this gigantic tax and spend plan. And we will be talking about this just a little bit later on in the program. But since we are a half an hour behind, thanks in no part to technical difficulties, we've got to get started on the main news of the day. And I wanted to start with this one here because as most of you know, most of you have been here since the big suicide prevention stream, which I, with everything that's gone on, I've not had a chance to set up another one. I, I really miss working with Elaine for literally the part of she is very good at organizing these kinds of things. I'm good at showing up, sitting down in the chair and talking to people, but she is so talented at organizing things and getting everything set up and ready to go. So all I have to do is click the live button and get started. But I mean, suicide prevention is a massive thing to me. And I mean, this, this is not just a suicide, what we're about to talk about here. This is a show, this is a, this is a statement that, Mr. Biden, you failed. You outright failed the American people. When a guy stands up in front of a memorial service for his brother who was lost, lost, ah, lost in Afghanistan. Yeah, I'm going to have the Biden stutter. On top of all the audio issues that I had today. I'm kicked off YouTube. I had audio issues. And now I'm going to, I'm going to, come, come on, man. Brother of Marine killed in Afghanistan withdrawal commits suicide at Memorial for the Fallen Service member. From Danielle Wallace. The brother of a young Marine killed during the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan reportedly died by suicide a year later during a recent memorial service for the Fallen Service member. Lance Corporal Karim Nikiu, 20, from Norco, California, was one of the 13 American troops killed on August 26, 2021, when a suicide bomber detonated an explosive outside the Kabul airport as crowds of Americans and Afghan allies sought to flee Taliban fighters taking control of the capital city. Nearly a year later, Nikiu's older brother, 28-year-old Dakota Halverson, died on August 9th. A press release from the Riverside County Sheriff's Department confirmed, though offering few details. The older brother of one of the 13 KIA in Kabul recently killed himself at his little brother's memorial. Representative Mike Waltz of Florida tweeted on Saturday, replying to a tweet by Town Hall reporter Julio Rosas, Please pray for his family. There must be accountability for this continued carnage. Rosas shared a link to a GoFundMe page, writing that Shayna Chapel, who lost her son Lance Corporal uh, Karim Niku in the attack during the Afghan evacuation last year, announced her son Dakota died. Rosas' tweet included the hashtag Suicide Awareness. Dakota Halverson was a loving son, brother, and friend, Chapel wrote on GoFundMe. Losing his brother nearly a year ago has proven too difficult to bear. Any donations for his burial and services would be greatly appreciated as he wanted to be buried next to his brother Kareem, who was killed August 26, 2021 while serving his country. His family and I want to honor his wish, uh, wishes. As of midday Sunday, the fundraiser reached more than 18,600 of its listed $20,000 goal. Chappelle and the fallen Marine's father, Steve Naku, have been vocal critics of the president's uh, Principal Military Officer, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. During uh, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan last August, following a 20-year conflict. I didn't know Milley was still the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But yeah, I mean, this, this in and of itself, 
was not just a man losing his life, succumbing to the depression. There was an aspect of that, but this was a statement as well. There was a way to get this done, and a way to get this done right. I am not saying that the original withdrawal date in May would have been without hiccups. It absolutely would have been. Because I'm positive there would have still been fundamentalists out there who thought that they were doing something for the cause by going out and making attacks. But I feel that they would have been much, much fewer and further between had we kept with the original date. And furthermore, this is the important one for me. If we'd have kept with the original date, there would have been a harder time spreading around the propaganda of Oh, the Americans, evil Americans, they said they'd be out of here by May 1st. But, oh, they're still here. Come join Taliban and we'll make sure that the evil Americans, the, the white devils, never come in here again. And that resonates. Especially in Asian politics. If you make a promise, you keep the promise. And if your predecessor makes a promise, you keep that promise still. You told these people that you would stop screwing their country. And yet, here we sat. So, we will continue to watch that and see where that goes. I hate to see somebody pass for suicide, but this, this is a major statement that needs to be made. And I do think that a lot of the mainstream media outlets glossed over this completely. And that's part of why I try to do a program by the common man for the common man, because most of you know from the uh, from the stream from the 24-hour stream I've been there man I've looked into that crude shoddy necktie and said what's there to stick around for I know some of the things that was pro uh, were probably going through this guy's head at the time some of the bargaining that he made through some of the last-minute prayers to God some of the prayers and begging for the mercy on his soul to come out and still go through with this, both and the tragedy of having to lose his brother, but also showing this statement. If I if I thought that this was just a depression thing, a tragedy thing, he wouldn't have done it in public. That's the thing. The suicide bombers, like the one who came in and killed his brother, did it largely publicly to make a statement, and this guy did it largely publicly to make a statement back against it. So, that is what we see for that. Let's grab one from The Blaze with midterms coming up. By the way, if you are in Wyoming or you know somebody in Wyoming, pass the bot of this stream. Otherwise, there will be video again. I will edit out the lengthy introduction this time. Oh, the ambulance is coming. Um, but there will be video on both the backup YouTube channel and audio going back out to the uh, audio platform. By the way, that is a part of the reason that I'm, uh, hit, I hit the record button today and I'm actually gonna put a note on my other monitor over here, the one that's got the uh, all the technicals on it to say, remember to hit the record button because we are going back to the audio platforms as well. But if you do know somebody who's in Wyoming, get them out to vote now. Make sure that they're ready, make sure they're getting in line because we have a great opportunity to get rid of another Bushite, Cheneyite, Romneyite, uh, Romneyite 
Monoparty neoconservative. New poll shows devastating outcome for Liz Cheney ahead of Wyoming primary. But Dems try to prevent the inevitable. Yeah, one of the things I saw on Twitter this morning while I was waiting to get up and set everything up was a lot of Democrats bargaining. Uh, can, can I, if I'm a Wyoming voter, can I, and register as a Democrat, can I go just grab a Republican ballot and fill it out and go down there? And it turns out, I believe Wyoming is closed primary, so no, you have to change your registration entirely. Uh, this is from Chris Enlow. Representative Liz Cheney is nearly 30 points underwater in the fight to win the uh, Republican nomination for Wyoming's at-large congressional seat. A new poll conducted by the Wyoming Survey and Analysis Center shows that Cheney trails her main opponent, Republican Harriet Hageman, by 29.6% among voters who will likely vote in the Republican primary next week. The data, when broken down along party lines, is telling. The survey found that among Republicans, uh, Cheney trails Hageman by more than 50 points, 68.1% to 15.4% among Democratic voters. However, 97.8% support Cheney. Oh my God, that is telling. That is insanely telling when we look at something like this. Because among Democratic voters, 97.8% support Cheney. I don't know what it's like in Wyoming I'm going to tell you that right now. I have no idea what it's like in Wyoming. But I know around here, I have stood shoulder to shoulder with some of the people who are tweeting out, We support Liz Cheney! Liz Cheney is the hero of our democracy! I have stood shoulder to shoulder with some of those people protesting Liz Cheney. I used to be a Democrat. And part of the reason was, is I was against Bush and I was against the war. Part of it came from the fact that I came from a union family, but I was also against the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, the Middle East interventionism. I, when it was first coming out of the Democrat Party, I'd convinced myself that we needed to be over there because we got to keep the fighting over there. But I quickly grew out of that because no, we don't. There are too many broken families over something that doesn't even involve this country. And now they're talking about on the Democrat side, Liz Cheney for president. Like, do you guys remember what happened when you put one of these miserable neoconservative war pigs into office? It's disgusting. Uh, the poll recites, the results are shocking for an incumbent Republican who once enjoyed broad support as a leader among House Republicans. However, Cheney's outspoken opposition to the former president and her opposition as the ranking member of the House Committee investigating the selfie fest have tarnished her standing among Wyoming voters, which are overwhelmingly Republican. And that's the reason that she's losing her job. Now, public sentiment aside, I mean, Adam Kinzinger can put out a million tweets between now and tomorrow at 8. And it's not going to change anything. The national opinion of Liz Cheney is not going to change anything. And that's tarnished too, by the way. But the national opinion of Liz Cheney is not going to change anything. When you are a representative, your job as a representative is to represent the interests of your constituency, unless 
And there are situations where you can step away from this, but it's usually not in an overwhelming situation. The constituency of Wyoming, the Republican constituency of Wyoming, overwhelmingly were against the impeachment vote of Donald J. Trump for impeachment 2.0. They were overwhelmingly against that. Liz Cheney, if she'd have looked at this and said, you know, I, I, I feel I feel the democracy is coming apart. I feel like our hold on the Middle East is coming apart, but I have to do what my constituents tell me to. She would probably still have a job come next year. Because the problem is not what her thoughts are. I guarantee, well, I promise you, Brian Stile, my representative here, doesn't represent my views or most of the views of Southeast Wisconsin. Brian Stile doesn't believe what he tells us in the advertisements. He's a moron. But he votes the way that we want him to. And that's why he's probably going to get a job. I wrote myself in against him. But he's probably going to keep his job because, I mean, that's one vote against him. Liz Cheney got the answer from her constituents who said, no, we don't want you to vote to impeach Trump. We don't think there's enough evidence there for the impeachment. And she went ahead and did it anyway. That's why she's losing her job. You don't, under again, except under extreme circumstances, get an opinion as a representative. You're picked because they think that you'll vote the way that uh, your constituency wants, but you're not an autonomous being. Now, if it's down to a 50-50 thing, where like half your constituent wants it and half your constituency doesn't want it, uh, doesn't want it rather. At that point, you can sit down and make a decision. Okay, I gotta go, go with my conscience on this one. But that's not the situation Cheney was in. I do lament the fact that it had to go through a religious reckoning in order to get rid of one of these Bushite neocons. And the religion I speak of, of course, is MAGA. I lament the fact that it took that to get rid of one of these war pigs. But I'm gonna take the win where I can get it. So, as for Liz Cheney, I am going to have egg on my face if they honk this the way that I think that they're going to honk this. But if unless you say honking like nothing has ever been honked before, this is already going to be accurate. And I will take the egg on my face if I'm wrong. I'm that confident in this outcome that I will take that particular. Let's go to CNN. Let's go talk about the Mar-a-Lago thing that has dominated this program for all a week at this point 
We're going to start with this one. Trump lawyer claimed no classified material was at Mar-a-Lago in signed letter to Justice Department. And yes, we've got the warrant out here that they can come back out and show. We've got a couple highlighted passages. The Breitbart story that leaked the warrant. Receipts of what they got. And a number of other things with that. So let's get started. Uh, let's see. This is from Evan Perez, Caitlin Collins, and Sarah Murray. One of the former president's attorneys signed a letter in June asserting that there was no more classified information stored at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, according to two sources familiar with the matter. The letter signed by the attorney raises fresh questions about the number of people who may have legal exposure in the ongoing investigation into the handling of classified materials from Trump's time at the White House. The probe reached dramatic heights earlier this week when the FBI executed a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago with agents removing 11 sets of classified documents, some of which were marked as top secret, SCI, one of the highest levels of classification. That inventory list contradicts the attorney's letter. The removal of that classified information after the letter was sent could explain why prosecutors cited an obstruction law in their search warrant request. The sources did not identify when the letter was signed or by whom it was part of an ongoing correspondence with the DOJ over the letter. The New York Times, a former newspaper, first reported the existence of the letter. CNN previously reported that following a June meeting at Mar-a-Lago where justice officials left with classified information, investigators developed evidence, including from a witness that led investigators to believe that there was still more classified information in documents stored at the complex. Court documents unsealed and released on Friday identified three federal crimes the DOJ is looking at as part of the investigations, violations of the Espionage Act, obstruction of justice, and criminal handling of government records. The inclusion of the crimes indicated that the Justice uh, Department had probable cause to investigate these offenses as it was gathering evidence in the search. No one has been charged with a crime. And I don't think that they're going to either. The June meeting included Trump lawyers, Evan Corcoran, Christina Bob, and federal investigators, including Jay Bratt, the chief of the counterintelligence and export control section at the Justice Department CNN previously reported. Now, the timing of all this. We need to talk about that for just a second. And this goes back into the article that I just read immediately prior from the blades, where I said that I might have egg on my face over playing the sounder too early. We do have an issue with this, and that is the timing. This just so happened to come out right before Wisconsin went out to the polls to go vote for Tim Michaels in an overwhelming fashion. In fact, the only places that voted for Rebecca Clayfish were neoliberal or progressive Milwaukee and Dane counties and a couple of the counties surrounding. Michaels destroyed Clayfish in this race and it wasn't even close. But here's the other side of that. Now that we've gone through, now that they've had a week to process and come out and say, nuclear documents! Nuclear Weapons Espionage Act! Right before Harriet Hageman is set to go head-to-head -head against Liz Cheney throughout the night. I don't think that was an accident. 
In fact, I believe that this was put in to try to put pause into Republican voters who want to go back and back MAGA candidates. Now, we've gone through when we've had almost every single state has gone through their primary process. There are very few left that are set to go through their primaries and MAGA has been sweeping across the country. A strategy for general. I have questions about it. When we sit back and we look at the fact of, okay, now that we're going through the primaries and the general, now that all these MAGA candidates are faced up against the their progressive and neoliberal Democrat parts, are some of them going to have an uphill climb, both in the Senate and in the House? Is this an election strategy? And I think it is. I don't think that they have crap, and I think they know it. But if they can come in to November saying, we have all the evidence holding over him, he's going to go to jail, and look at all these people who we endorse, they're going to be traitors to the Republic. Uh, Trump spokesperson Taylor Budowich said in a statement to CNN, Just like every Democrat fabricated witch hunt previously, the water of this unprecedented and unnecessary raid is being carried by media willing to run with suggestive leaks, anonymous sources, and no hard facts. The National Archives, charged with collecting and sorting presidential material, has previously said at least 15 boxes of White House records were recovered from the Mar-a-Lago resort, including some that were classified. The warrant released on Friday capped an unprecedented week that began with the search of the former president's home, an evidence-gathering step in a national security investigation. Why is this important? This is important for reasons... Again, of election status. Now... A lot of the presidents in the past have taken the documents with them. This is this is not anything new. But again, we're looking at a situation where there is not it's not clear that there was a crime committed. They're trying to go out, and there's a reason they went with the Espionage Act, especially right after the Saudi Gulf event. Oh, he's selling all the secrets to the Saudis. Do you have evidence of that? The other important side of this, and I complained about this under the Hillary investigation as well, while I do think that there was more to go on with the Hillary investigation than there was, there's also, just like in this situation, never going to be a document or a piece of evidence released to the American people because it's highly classified. So we'll continue to watch this and see where this goes. We will. Uh, look into some other angles from this. From Insider, a group that wants to eliminate nuclear weapons says the FBI's seizure of documents at Mar-a-Lago highlights vulnerabilities in global security. We really have no idea what was going on inside Trump's head. Oh, jeez. From Isabella Zavaris. An international group that wants to eliminate nuclear weapons says the FBI's seizure of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, which could contain nuclear information, highlights the vulnerability of global security. Alicia Sanders-Zachary, a 
Policy Research Coordinator with the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, said the organization is concerned that the uh, presence of potentially sensitive material could be exposed to those who normally wouldn't have access to this kind of documentation. Is there confirmation that there was weapon information with that? I mean, the nuclear codes change from president to president, and they're stored in the nuclear football. There's not a piece of paper that has the nuclear codes on it. Because that would be a stupid idea. I think we really have no idea what was going on inside Trump's head, and that's the more terrifying because at one point he had control over the U.S.'s nuclear weapons. So I think that it shows we can't rely on anybody to control the weapons that can control destroy the world ten times over, she told Insider. On Monday, federal agents took 11 sets of classified documents after searching the form, uh, home of the former president. According to the Wall Street Journal, some of the records the FBICs were marked top secret and only meant to be stored in special government facilities. In a statement released on Friday, Trump didn't deny a Washington Post report saying documents with information about nuclear weapons were part of the search. In another statement that day, he denied that claim. Nuclear weapons issue is a hoax. Just like Russia, Russia was a hoax. Two impeachments were a hoax. The Mueller investigation, hoax. And so much more. Same sleazy people were involved. When asked whether Trump's response appeared to confirm the nuclear documents were uncovered, a former Justice Department official told Insider, it sounds like it. Sanders Zachary said, well, we know that uh, a Justice Department official talking to Insider is completely unbiased. Sanders Zachary said the events as a matter of global concern. It really underscores the fact that nuclear weapons are too dangerous for any country or person to be able to control, she told Insider. There's no room for error. I think that's what's terrifying about them, is that we know that humans aren't perfect, and sometimes we have somebody who doesn't follow the protocols who, like Trump, might make a mistake in terms of how to conduct foreign affairs. The DOJ is investigating whether Trump invited, uh, violated rather three laws, including the Espionage Act, when he moved government documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago upon leaving office. Which is interesting. Did he violate the Espionage Act? I don't believe so. Does that sound terrifying to people? Oh no, the Espionage Act! Yeah, it does. And I think Rand Paul got it right. The Espionage Act in and of itself is a way to take down political enemies for generations. Because it's again one of those things that we look at and there never has to be any accountability for it. You violated the Espionage Act. Okay, show the documents to the people. We can't. They're top secret. Should I have another one from CNN for you? The Washington Post, where democracy goes to die in darkness. FBI searched Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence for classified nuclear documents. I might gloss over this one. Uh, the FBI sought to locate classified documents related to nuclear weapons, among other items, when agents searched former President Trump's res uh, resort in Palm Beach. This week, uh, people familiar with the investigation told the Washington Post. The people did not offer additional details to the Post about what type of information the agents were seeking or whether any such documents were recovered, according to the paper. The revelation adds key context to the Justice Department's extraordinary decision to search the home of a former president. That's all we're going to go to on this one here. 
The Washington Post, when they put this out, has been sources say. In fact, most of what we've seen off of this has been sources say. What sources? Tell me about the sources. Tell me about what's happening here. Who's involved? Who's done what? Again, show me the documents. But of course, we can't show you the documents. From NBC, Trump says he declassified Mar-a-Lago documents. Experts say it's unclear whether that will hold up. Oh, if they want him, they're going to find him. They're going to find the crime. You bring me men, comrade. I will find you the crime. I don't know who Dave McCullough is, but he was 89 years old and he passed away, apparently. Excuse me. From Dara Gregorian and Mark Caputo. Former President Trump and his allies say that any sensitive White House documents he brought with him to his Mar-a-Lago estate had been declassified, but some legal and presidential record experts are skeptical of the claim and say that Trump could be in criminal jeopardy regardless. While the DOJ has a long history of prosecuting cases involving the mishandling of classified information, no such case has ever been brought against a former president, the one government official who can declassify information at will. As the facts stand now, his defense would be, I, I declassified those documents. I am therefore in possession, not in possession rather, of classified documents now, said Charles Stimson, a senior fellow with the Conservative Heritage Foundation and former uh, federal prosecutor. Others take a different view, including, it seems, the FBI. The totally, totally objective FBI. Trump lawyer Christina Bob said Tuesday that a warrant left by agents indicated they were investigating possible violations of laws dealing with the handling of classified material and the Presidential Records Act. Ron, I think you need a few more parentheses around there. Just a couple. The 1978 Presidential Records Act, which requires presidents to turn over documents to the National Archives at the end of their admin, lacks an enforcement mechanism, but there are multiple federal laws regarding the handling of classified documents. Trump signed one law in 2018, increasing the penalty for unauthorized removal and retention of classified documents or material from one year to five years in prison. But those in Trump's orbit say that no president is personally bound by the removal and retention rules governing classified documents, which can be declassified if the president simply says they are, according to Rick Grinnell, who is Trump's acting director of national intelligence and who handled highly classified information. There is no approval process for the president to declassify intelligence. There is this phony idea that he must provide notification for declassification, but that's just silly. Who is he supposed to notify? I think it's the height of swampism to think the president should seek bureaucrats' approval, Grinnell told NBC News, emphasizing that he wasn't personally speaking for the president. Trump himself said on his true social platform Friday, it was a uh, declassified. Richard Immerman, historian and assistant deputy director of national intelligence in the Obama admin, said that while the president has the authority to, decla to declassify documents, there's a formal process for doing so, and there's no indication Trump used it. Stix has had a very, very, very good breakdown of this. I've been listening to that, I think, every day since this happened. 
I think I've been listening to his coverage of that. And one of the things that he pointed out with this has to do with the presidency and the president being a chief diplomat. And that has to, that goes along with with him being a diplomat, the ability to declassify documents at will just by speaking of it. That seems to be at the crux of the argument that we're going with on this. Now, given the fact that he would be the chief diplomat, if he were unable to talk about things at will without seeking permission from the National Archives, etc., that would put a hamper on foreign diplomacy. Now, if there was a classified situation where he wanted to come up and use that as a situation of, hey, can we do something about this? And if you give a little bit here, we can go pull this back. Instead of, okay, I, I have a proposal for you, but I have to go back and ask permission from the bureaucrats in Washington on whether or not I can talk to you about this. Can you give me an hour? What, what kind of projection of strength does that show to the foreign dignitary with whom he's discussing. I tend to lean toward the sides of the at-will side of that because just of the diplomacy access. And if that is the case, then that is going to put the burden of proof on the DOJ to find out whether he had spoken before leaving the presidency or afterwards that these documents weren't classified. You can't prove a negative. So, that's what we're seeing from that. Let's do this one next. Just because this is one of the reactions that's going around about this entire thing. Something that we should definitely pay attention to because this is going to be the catalyst. Eric Larson. Who is a Savage Dragon perpetrator. 2012 Inkpot Award winner, 2017 Inkwell Award winner, Times Magazine Person of the Year in 06. Not blue check verified, I have no idea who this person is, but apparently 46,000 people do. Donald Trump being executed for treason on the White House lawn is the closure America needs to start the healing process. Yes, because that's not what tin pot dictatorships do. Execute their political enemies on their capital grounds, on live television in front of everybody. That's totally not a tin pot move at all. And he doubled down, too. I'm no fan, but that's a terrible thing to suggest. Held accountable is a better solution. And Eric Larson, that would be holding him accountable. And it's not just execution, either, by the way. It is what Eric Larson is suggesting. is live television, front lawn, beheading. Not like a lethal injection. You don't do that on the front lawn of the White House. That is, put him out there, put him in a gallows, and drop him. Is what people like Eric are doing. For the entertainment of the people. Or to strike fear in them. Again, to strike fear in the hearts of the people who might dissent. This is all leading in to a situation of making you afraid of the government again. Which you should not be afraid of the government. You shouldn't have to be afraid of the government.
speaking of this, one of the things, especially since I just brought this up, that I've been seeing around the Twitterverse throughout the last few days is the thought, and I've, I've brought this up, and I know other creators have brought this up as well, if they can do this to the former president, who is also a billionaire in his private life, who can afford the best lawyers in the country to go and argue his case, they can turn around and do this to you, who's living in your middle-income home and never thought that uh, never thought that you had to have a lawyer for anything, which you should have a lawyer for anything anyway. But you can't afford the high-priced lawyer. You can't go through and do anything like that. Not the way that Donald can. Well, if they can do it to him, they can do it to you. And I've been seeing this from the ACAB people, by the way, too. That's the thing that really gets me off of this. I really need to stop putting my hand in front of my face on the camera, by the way. I've caught myself doing that a few times, and I'm trying to consciously stop that. But if they can do it to the president, they can do that to anybody else. And the big response is, is well, if you just comply with the law, then you'll never have to worry about being taken away. Are you serious? The neocon response to St. George, to St. Jacob, to St. Brianna, and a litany of other things. Hell, even St. Patrick of Loyola, the one that time forgot in Grand Rapids. The neocon response to every one of those was, if he had just complied with the law, then none of this would have been happening. And then we hear the ringing and the screaming and the anger from the same people who are saying just comply with federal law now. Saying, oh no, no, the Justice Department is, it's rigged against the people. It, it's rigged against black people because they don't like black people. And now these same people are saying, oh, if, if you're worried about the FBI coming after you, just don't violate federal law. It's an interesting book that I added to my reading list. I've not read it yet, but I added it to my reading list. Let me find a copy of it. Um, not the Amazon one, because that'll show my name. So we'll use the EconLib page to, to show this. Uh, this book called uh, Three Felonies a Day by David Henderson. And it goes over how, you know, most people just go home, do their job. Or I'm sorry, get up, do their job, eat breakfast, eat lunch, eat dinner, go home, watch crap network TV, and go to bed. And yet in that span... These, most people somehow commit three federal violations per day. And that's not counting the municipality misdemeanor that you got for driving 75 and a 35 to get to work. Three Felonies a Day by David Henderson is one that I definitely think that everybody should go look over. I think some of you guys have read it already. I think, I think Ron, didn't you recommend it to me? But yeah, oh no, 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 just comply and everything will be fine. Sean Davis over on Twitter, retweeting Fasobiak, replying to himself, under attachment B of the FBI raid document, Garland demanded the seizure of literally any record Trump ever saw, read, or created. Over the entire four-year term of his presidency, any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th of 2021. Read it for yourself, line C of attachment B. So here we see the full warrant. 
district court. I might blow this up for a little bit. Search and seizure warrant. An application by federal enforcement for an attorney for the government requests the search of the following person or property located in the Southern District of Florida. Uh, you are commanded to execute this warrant before August 19th of 2022, not to exceed 14 days. In the daytime, 6 a.m. to 10, uh, 10 p.m. Unless delayed notice is authorized below, you must give a copy of the warrant and a receipt for the property taken to the persons from whom, from those premises, the property was taken, and leave a copy and receipt at the place where the property was taken. The officer executing this warrant or an officer present during the execution of the warrant must prepare an inventory as required by law and promptly return this warrant and inventory to duty magistrate And the other one's not checked, so that doesn't uh, that doesn't comport. 8-5-2022-12-12 p.m. Bruce Reinhardt. Uh, we have a blank on an inventory of the property taken and the name of any person seized, which that will we'll go into that a little bit later. Attachment A: Property to be searched. The present uh, premises to be searched. 1100 South Ocean Boulevard, Palm Beach, Florida. 33480 is further described as a resort club and residence located near the intersection of Southern Boulevard and South Ocean. It is described as a mansion with approximately 58 bedrooms, 33 bathrooms on a 17-acre estate. Locations to be searched include 45 office, all storage rooms, and all other rooms or areas within the premises used or available to be used by the former president and his staff and in which boxes or documents could be stored, including all structures, buildings on the estate. It does not include areas currently at the time of the search being occupied, rented, or used by third parties, such as Mar-a-Lago members, and not otherwise used or available to be used by the former president or staff, such as private guest suites. That goes into the, to the laws of, um, to, uh, laws of leasing, which if they're similar to what they are in Wisconsin, a uh, room that's rented by a guest ceases to be under the purview of the owner as well as a like a long-term a condo or something or something that's used for long-term living under a lease by one uh by a boarded employee those wouldn't be available to the fbi further attachment b that's the last page that we'll see here all physical documents, property to be seized, all physical documents and records constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation of 18 U.S.C., subsection 793-2071 or 1519, including the following. Any physical documents with classification markings along with containers, boxes, including other contents in which such documents are located, as well as any other containers or boxes that are collectively stored or fun, uh, found together, with the aforementioned documents and containers boxes b information including communications in any form regarding the retrieval storage or transmission of national defense information or classified materials c any government and or presidential records created between january 20th 2017 and january 20th 2021 notice that is separate from line a Otherwise, that would have fallen into line A and wouldn't need to be included. And D, any evidence of knowing alteration, destruction, or concealment of any government and or presidential records or of any documents with classification markings. This is a lot of legalese, and I'm going to break this down for you. 
It was anywhere in the home for any document that had to do with the presidency. This does not include anything classified. This includes the tax records. This includes, as we'll talk about in a moment, privileged, attorney-client privilege information. This includes anything, any communication that he did that had to be documented between that time, whether released to the public or not. This is a fishing expedition. This is not. Oh, well, we're just going through here and looking for the classified. We, we know what we're looking for. They didn't. They're looking for documents to turn over to the January 6th committee. They're looking for documents to, to NBC on the tax records. They are looking for anything. Election Wizard highlighting line C as well. Tell me without telling me the Trump raid was a fishing expedition. Thank you, Election Wizard. All right, let's talk about the declassification. Benny Johnson tweets out, Cash Patel, documents were already declassified. So there's a distinction between national security and criminal cases. And in this instance, it seems to be from the public reporting and the Attorney General's conduct that this is going on pursuant to a national security investigation, which takes it out of the criminal division and into the national security division where I used to work. And the receipts uh, that are now becoming publicly available show uh, vague descriptions of things because the government is likely going to come in and say some of the stuff was classified, but it doesn't seem to be the case when Donald Trump issued sweeping declassification orders on multiple occasions, both as, 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 as president on multiple times. So that's going to be a distinction that we need to watch for, and it's incumbent upon the government, the DOJ, to tell us what happened. Okay, so you just touched on something that I want to dig into here with you, which is the declassification process and mm -hmm. what your position was at the time and whether or not you were involved, because we know there's a procedure that has to take place. Uh, the president can't just you know, sort of wave over a bunch of boxes and say this is all declassified. Um, can you... Take us through the process where these documents were declassified by this president. Yeah, so the normal process, and I was the deputy, you know, there's multiple occasions, but I think I was serving as deputy director of national intelligence. If we needed to declassify through the normal chain of command for lower level uh, employees, we'd have to go through a rigorous process to do that procedurally. But the president of the United States is and always been the ultimate unilateral classification authority to classify and declassify. If he says something is declassified, that's it. Then it's declassified. He issued a strong statement in October of 2020 declassifying all Russiagate and all Hillary Clinton documents, and that's up on, you know, publicly available. And then at the end of his administration in December and January, he felt so much more information needed to be declassified. He declassified whole sets of documents that should have come out. Now, the GSA has since come out, the Government Service Administration, said they mistakenly packed some boxes and moved them to Mar-a-Lago. That's not on the president. That's on the National Archives to sort that material out. They cannot prosecute him for intentionally, even if it was classified, which it's highly unlikely to issue these sweeping orders, um, like we went through with the Hillary Clinton saga. Um, they'll, never, they'll never meet the burden of intent because the president didn't pack it up and take it himself. The GSA has said they did it and they made a mistake. And uh, that should have been really the end of it. It should have been a cordial subpoena where, at most, where they said, okay, we just need this and we'll get the rest back to you. I mean, President Obama and President Clinton 
still have classified materials in their possession in their homes that they have not released to this day per the National Archives. So are you saying that these particular documents that were at Mar-a-Lago were all declassified in that December-January period of what year? I'm saying, uh, well, the end of 2020 and early 2021, before the president left, right. I'm saying whole sets of documents were. You know, I, I don't know what was shipped down there because I wasn't the GSA people moving those documents. Only they do. They packed them. They admitted that they packed them, which is their job, and transported them there and stored them somewhere. So the GSA could provide a lot more clarity to us on how and what was moved, and the GSA could have worked with the Department of Justice um, that would have been my move as a national security prosecutor who brought terrorism cases all the time. This is okay. So a couple things that are going on with this. Number one is the like Cash Patel was saying that a lot of what we were already seeing was already uh, declassified. So that's um, that's point number one as we continue to watch this. But point number two, and that's really important, is we're going to have to come back and see intent. And the FBI and the DOJ both came out with a precedent under the former president. I hate doing the whataboutism thing, but in this case, it's something that we actually have to talk about, and that is the fact that under the former, I said former president, under the former Secretary of State, rather, they put intent into this, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to grasp and hold on to the intent side of it. It does look like somebody else packed everything up, they shipped it down, they were asked for it back, and the, the Trump White House, the Trump administration was cooperating with it, and yet it somehow mysteriously was unable to bring its way back. So that's an interesting angle to what we're seeing with that. Uh, let's grab one from Breitbart. Uh, Trump search warrant shows top secret documents, FBI seized from Mar-a-Lago. The search warrant executed at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence shows top secret documents were among items removed from, uh, by the FBI, rather. A redacted inventory, of course it's redacted, of items seized from Trump, who is under investigation for potential obstruction and violations of the Espionage Act, shows that agents seized at least four sets of miscellaneous top secret documents. How would you like to be on a jury for that? Mr. Four-Person, we would like you to convict the person because he's evil and orange, and orange and evil. And he took away top-secret documents from that. Fr from the White House. Okay. Can we see the documents? No, they're top-secret. Uh, the inventory, ordered to be released Friday by Federal Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt, noted that the top-secret documents were among various classified TSSCI documents. Agents took three sets of miscellaneous documents categorized at a lower secret level, as well as confidential document, and that was not described, and two others described as miscellaneous confidential documents. Information regarding the President of France was also seized, though it was not immediately clear how the information related to President Macron. The FBI also seized the executive grant of clemency for Trump ally Roger Stone. Other items seized include a potential presidential record and a handwritten note, as well as two binders of photos. The contents of a note and photos were not immediately known. Of the boxes of documents seized by the FBI, there were 
26 labeled, A1, A12 to A18, A22 to A28, A30, A32 to A35, A39 to A43, A71 to A73, another item seized was described as a letter a leather bound box of documents. The warrant, which was also unsealed on Friday, shows that authorities wanted to search locations within the Mar-a-Lago mansion, including the so-called 45 office, and all storage rooms used by the former president and his staff in which boxes of documents could be stored, and Melania's underwear drawer. The search did not include areas occupied or rented by third parties, such as private guest suites, obviously for obvious reasons. The documents were seized for being illegally possessed in violation of federal law, including the Espionage Act and Obstruction of Justice, citing 18 U.S. Code, subsection 793, 2071, and 1519. The Espionage Act, located in part under U.S. Code, subsection 793, pertains to the gathering and transmitting of defense information and notes that anyone guilty of having removed defense documents from their proper place of custody can be fined or imprisoned up to 10 years. USC subsection 2071 pertains to whoever attempts to willfully and unlawfully remove, conceal, or mutilate, or destroy records, and notes that those guilty can be fined in prison for up to three years, as well as be disqualified from holding any office under the U.S. Under a third law cited in the warrant, anyone who alters, destroyed, or conceals documents to obstruct or influence an investigation or admin of a matter a federal department or agency can be fined or imprisoned up to 20 years. My guess is they're trying to pull and push on to 2071 because it looks like on the other two they can pay the fine and get out of it. That's important because how do you imprison a former president? You'd almost have to build a, a brand new prison just to hold the guy because you'd have to hold him and all of his secret service agents who then would also have to be imprisoned. But I'm guessing they're trying hard to get on to 2071 because that's got the disqualifier on it. Speaking of Breitbart, from Newsweek, Breitbart slammed for doxing FBI agents involved in Mar-a-Lago raid from Isla Slisko. Conservative media outlet Breitbart is facing criticism for publishing the names of FBI agents involved in the raid of the former president's home. Breitbart published a leaked version of the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. Leaked. What do you mean leaked? That is some edit uh, editorialization right there. And that was a big shift in the narrative too. Well, if he was innocent, he would just release the warrant. Okay. I'm going to release the warrant. Okay. Well, he didn't release it fast enough. All right. I just want to release the warrant out here. Here. Here it goes. Oh, crap. I didn't change my uh, stream. Thank you, McLeod, for that. Yeah, with all the other uh, technical difficulties I had at the top of the stream, I didn't change the uh, game. Maybe I should go over and do that over on the DLive side too, quick. There. Now it's changed over on the DLive side too. 
It's just been a tremendous morning for me this morning, hasn't it? Ah, uh, let's see. It wasn't a leaked version. They went through the proper channels, they got it out, they got it ready to go, and they released it as soon as the lawyer said it was okay. Trump just happened to release his just a little bit before Merrick Garland released his copy. That wasn't a leak. Now you can come back out and try to call it a leak because you think it'll score you political points, and Newsweek is known for being completely objective. including the names of an FBI special agent and supervisor agent on Friday. The agents both signed their names on the receipts for property seized from Trump's home, including a box of classified documents that reportedly may have included nuclear secrets. A redacted version of the warrant, which omitted the names of the agents, was officially released hours later. Commentators, uh, commentators soon took to Twitter to accuse Breitbart, an outlet previously managed by former Trump advisor Steve Bannon of doxing, the practice of identifying a person or releasing personal information about them, often with the aim of enabling targeted harassment. Some also accused Trump of leaking the warrant to Breitbart in hopes of targeting the agents. I disavow any violence against the American government. Full on, full out. If the American government needs to be fought, let them bring the fight to you. If you feel the need because you saw the name on a Breitbart article of the FBI agents to go to an FBI uh, office and start shooting, you will become deceased. To be fair, if they come to your house, you will become deceased too, but it'll be easier for you to take a few of them with you. And they know that. I love this. Alan Rosenblatt, PhD. Garland called Trump to make warrant public. Trump tried to get one over on Garland, releasing warrant to Breitbart without redacting FBI agents' names. That's right. Trump doxed FBI agents serving a legal search warrant. Well, there's questions about that. Once again, Trump is inciting violence. Garland called Trump to make the warrant public. What did he do? He made it public. From WESH2. Donald Trump demands returning of top secret documents recovered by FBI. Former President Trump has released his reaction to the FBI recovering top secret documents from his Mar-a-Lago home. Following the documents recovery, Trump demanded they be returned by the DOJ. Um, okay. I wanted to read through the quote just to make sure if I had to go back and change voice. Oh great, it's just been learned that the FBI in his now famous raid of Mar-a-Lago took boxes of privileged attorney-client material and also executive privilege material, which they knowingly should have not taken. By copy of this truth, I respectfully request these documents be immediately returned to the location from which they were taken. Thank you. Trump wrote on Truth Social on Sunday. 
Lead Associated Press reports that FBI agents retained several classified documents, about 11 sets, and some of the documents recovered were under specific categories, such as sensitive compartmented information, a property receipt from the court shows. The specific information within the recovered documents has not been released due to the investigation still being underway. And of course, it's classified, so they never have to re release it. According to the warrant, federal violations that fall under three laws are under investigation. And we've talked about that. We this uh, this headline is actually a little bit search. misleading. Because if we look at the truth... Not the tweet, the truth. The headline says that they're demanding the top secret documents, of which I still question whether or not they were. But according to the demand, it was, there's attorney-client material and executive privilege material. It looks like it's personal documents that he's looking for. Stuff that should he, the government very well shouldn't have because it is attorney-client privilege. I don't see anything in this statement that's demanding top secret documents back. I mean, we'll read it again and you can tell me in the chat if I'm wrong. I see McLeod is here and has updated my uh, my stream information so maybe she can be the one to tell me because I know that she works in law. Okay, it's just been learned that by the FBI in its now famous raid of Mar-a-Lago took boxes of privileged attorney client material and also executive privileged material which they knowingly should not have taken. By copy of this truth, I respectfully request that these documents be immediately returned to the location from which they were taken. Thank you, Trump wrote on True Social. Does, do you see where he's demanding the top secret documents? I don't see it. Can somebody call a lawyer? Can a lawyer read this and, and say, hey, oh no. Here, in Invisible Ink, right here, he says, and also top secret documents. It's just a lie. Uh, Human Events has the warrant and property receipt from Mar-a-Lago. This is from Pasobiak. Oh, I wanted to touch on this one here. The warrant we read already, obviously. Uh, but we do have the receipt for property. So let's scroll down just a little bit. Receipt for property. Items below were collected or seized. Description of items. We'll go through some of these. I'll run my cookies scan later. Uh, let's see. Executive grant of clemency, Roger Stone. Info regarding President of France. Leather bomb box of documents. We talked about that. Various classified top secret uh, security clearance information documents. Potential uh, presidential record. Binder of photos, binder of photos, handwritten note. Miscellaneous secret documents, miscellaneous top secret documents. Miscellaneous top secret documents. You know, all those things that they'll never have to present to a jury.
Potential presidential records, though. That's the one that I, I want to see and figure out what's going on with that. It's the secret ones, too, because I think that's going to be where the attorney-client privilege stuff is. But why do they need all presidential records? I need an explanation to that. From Fox News. FBI seizes privileged Trump records during raid. DOJ opposes request for independent review. Why? Number one, we can hide behind top secret. Number two, why would they? From Brooke Singman. The FBI seized boxes containing records covered by attorney-client privilege and potentially executed uh, privilege, or executive privilege rather, during its raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home, sources familiar with the investigation told Fox News, adding the Justice Department opposed Trump's lawyer's request for the appointment of an independent special uh, master to review the records. Now, again, I want to know names and at least titles. Maybe not names, but titles. This is the lawyer. This is the lawyer who signed off on the documents that are missing. Uh, this is the head of the legal team. This is a National Archives um, expert. Can I at least get a title from what these people are instead of just sources say? Uh, let's see. Attorney-client privilege refers to a legal privilege that keeps communication between an attorney and their client confidential. Sources told Fox News that some records could be recovered. By executive or could be covered by executive privilege, which gives the president and other officials within the executive branch the authority to withhold certain sensitive forms of advice and consultation between the president and senior advisors. It also makes it really, 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 really hard to prosecute a president that's sitting. It's unclear at this point if the records include communications between the former president and his private attorneys, the White House counsel during the Trump administration, or a combination. Sources told Fox News that due to attorney-client privilege, Trump's team asked the Justice Department for their position on whether they could support a third-party independent special master to review those records, but sources told Fox News that the DOJ notified Trump's team that they would oppose that request. The DOJ and the FBI declined to comment. Again. It's something to look into, it's something to think about, but all we have right now is sources say, and nothing real to go on from CNN. So this is an interesting one because before I get into this, this there, the reason I included this at this point, this would normally have been way lower down here, is that the leftoids who think that Trump should be prosecuted for breathing believe that this guy went and crashed his vehicle into the uh, White House barricade because he was angry at the FBI. And I haven't looked really deeply into this. I kind of took a media break yesterday, except for to go set up the show. So I don't know what this guy's motive was. And if this was it, I would also have questions and a little bit of honk honk. But I was, I'm curious as to where this goes because they've released the name already. Man fatally shoots himself after crashing car into a barricade near U.S. Capitol building. From Daniela Diaz. 
A man shot and killed himself after driving a vehicle into a vehicle barricade near the U.S. Capitol building early Sunday morning, U.S. Capitol Police said. The incident happened shortly after 4 a.m. Eastern Time when a man drove his car into the barricade at East Capitol Street and 2nd Street. He then exited his car, which became engulfed in flames and fired several shots into the air, the Capitol Police said in a statement. He then fatally shot himself. When authorities approached him, there were no additional injuries. Capitol Police later Sunday identified the individual as a 29-year-old man from Delaware. CNN is not naming the man at this time. I believe NPR did. At this time, it does not appear the man was targeting any members of Congress who are on recess, and it does not appear officers fired their weapons, the USCP statement earlier Sunday read. Our investigators are looking into the man's background. D.C. Metro is handling the death investigation, the statement said. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger said during a news conference Sunday that the man had a criminal history from over the past 10 years or so, but there was no information to indicate motive and no political ideology that we're aware of at this point, which is probably why the story disappeared so fast. Manger said no other weapons were found on the scene, and the only identifiable items remaining in the car in question were aerosol cans, which caught on fire shortly after the driver crashed into the barricade. The D.C. Fire Department is investigating whether the man started the fire himself, the USCP chief added. It, uh, it kind of sounds like that, because crashing a car into a barricade outside of the Capitol building is usually not enough to set a car on fire. Though Manger said the USCP has taken increased precautions in recent days following threats to other law enforcement agencies, he said the force will not be adjusting the size of its presence at the Capitol in response to Sunday's incident. Oh good, we only get to have a partially locked down Capitol, a people's house that's not available to the people, instead of a fully locked down militarized Capitol of the people's house that's not available to the people. Oh good, that's so much better. NPR. Police named the man they say crashed his car and killed himself near the U.S. Capitol. From Becky Sullivan, and this of course comes from our friends over at National Progressive Radio, so make sure you hit that donate button so they can tell you how evil and right-wing this guy was, and how much of a Trump supporter he was, and you can't do that with just the money that you get from taxpayers. It needs to be our money comrade so give freely make sure that you can be indoctrinated properly by our friends over at npr and we'll see what they have to say police are investigating an early sunday incident in which a man crashed his car near the u.s capitol and fired multiple gunshots before killing himself authorities identified the man as richard a york the third the reasons why he chose to drive to the Capitol were unclear. Betcha's social media scrubbed. Bet. Again, we're not going to go look on Facebook because that would show my real name and we're not going to do that. My first name, I should say. Uh, the reasons why he chose to drive to the Capitol were unclear, though he did not appear to be targeting any members of Congress. No one else was injured. The incident began around 4 a.m. as New York, uh, I'm sorry, as York drove his car into a barricade about one block east of the Capitol. 
As they exited the car, the vehicle became engulfed in flames, the police statement said. New York, uh, I keep saying New York when I see York. York then fired several gunshots, apparently into the air. When our officers heard the sound of gunfire, they immediately responded and were approaching the man when he shot himself, the Capitol Police said. The agency said it did not appear that any officers fired their weapons. So, that's what we see for that. From the Hill. Marjorie Taylor Greene files articles of impeachment against Garland. I'm curious if that's the proper channel for a DOJ head. I know that's the proper channel for sitting members of Congress, the Senate, the Supreme Court, and the presidency, obviously. I guess I could see where that would be also the proper channel for the top law enforcement official, or the second law enforcement official in the country, not the top. The top would be the president. From Carolyn Bakil. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene announced on Friday that she had filed articles of impeachment against A.G. Garland as the FBI search of the former president's residence Royals Republicans. Green's resolution claims the AG's personal approval to seek a search warrant for the raid on the home of the 45th President of the United States constitutes a blatant attempt to persecute a political opponent. Yeah, we know. The warrant was approved by a federal judge and then sealed on Friday after the DOJ and uh, Trump's attorneys agreed. The warrant showed the FBI secured classified materials and were taken to Mar-a-Lago. We read all that. Republicans, including Green, have repeatedly accused the DOJ of going after Trump for political reasons. Her resolution claims that Garland's efforts to unseal the search warrant for the home of the former president constitutes an attempt to intimidate, harass, and potentially disqualify a political challenger to President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. The White House has said Biden had no knowledge of the FBI's search, which is probably true because he has no knowledge of what his own name is sometimes or what year it is. And no evidence has been presented to dispute that. As I said, that's probably true. Whether he was informed of it, we don't know, but it's probably true that he has no knowledge of it. And no evidence has been presented to dispute that. A Justice Department spokesman declined to comment to the Hill. The problem is, is she doesn't have the votes for it. This measure is going to get curb stomped, and I'm sure Republicans are going to jump on to, to kill it as well. There's no way to even bring this down to the floor and expect anything to happen. It's a symbolic gesture. It's so that the people in Rome, Georgia can come out and say, I am impeached Attorney General. Come vote for Marjorie. And that's what we have to say. And what have we spent now? Probably an hour and 20 minutes on the Mar-a-Lago thing again. That's not including, of course, all the technical difficulties that were on there. We're at 139, and I know we spent a good 10 well, I know I spent a good 
10 on just trying to get my microphone sorted out. Which again, it, it does seem like there's some background noise bouncing through it, but nobody's mentioned it. So I'll try and fix that a little bit off mic and figure out what's going, or off screen and figure out what's going on there. But yeah, one hour, 39 minutes and 39 seconds. 10 minutes of technical issues, 10 minutes of finance, hour and 20 minutes of Mar-a-Lago. Let's talk about some more stuff because we still got a whole bunch more to go over. We will move on to foreign policy or in other news, things that they want you to ignore because now we're talking about Mar-a-Lago. From CNBC, US lawmakers arrive in Taiwan with China tensions simmering. Coming to CNBC from Reuters. A delegation of US lawmakers arrived in Taiwan on Sunday for a two-day trip during which they will meet President Tsai Ing-wen, the second highest level group to visit there, our military ten uh, the second highest level group to visit there while there are military tensions between the self-ruled island and China. Beijing, which claims democratically governed Taiwan as its own territory, has conducted military drills around the island after the U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei in early August. China has long claimed that sovereignty over the island. Taiwan's government rejects China's claim and says the island's people should decide its future. The de facto U.S. Embassy in Taipei said the delegation is being led by Senator Ed Markey, Massachusetts Democrat, who is being accompanied by four House lawmakers on what's described as part of a larger visit to the Indo-Pacific region. Why? What benefit to the constituents of Massachusetts does this trip have? Taiwan's presidential office said the group would meet Tsai on Monday morning, especially at a time when China is raising tensions in the Taiwan Strait and the region with military exercises. Markey leading a delegation to visit Taiwan once again demonstrates the U.S. Congress's firm support for Taiwan, it said in a statement. Why? Can somebody explain this to me? Do they tell us who's there? They do not. Just Ed Markey. And I don't recognize these people enough behind their COVID masks to know which ones they are. Oh, but it's got a caption. In this photo, released by the Taiwan Ministry of Foreign Affairs from the left, U.S. Democratic House Member Alan Lowenthal from California, House Member John Garamendi, Donald Yu Tian Su, Director General, Department of North American Affairs, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Democratic House Member Don Beyer from Virginia, and Republican Rep. Aumua Amata Coleman, Red Wagon, a delegate from the American Samoa, posed for a photo after arriving on a U.S. government plane at Songshan Airport in Taipei on Sunday, August 14th, 2022. Again, the question remains, what is this doing? For California, Virginia, Samoa, and it doesn't actually say where uh, John Garamondi is from. But what is this doing for your constituency as we come back and we still see the saber rattling going on in the Taiwan Strait? Nothing good, that's what I anticipate. 
a message from our fearless speaker of the house who decided to go over there first. We still support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There is nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a, strong a little democracy, bit. Yeah. Courageous people. And, and it's it just, I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interests who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. We still support the one China policy. We go there to. There you go. One of the freest societies in the world. We've got a one-child policy. We've got restrictions out the out the butt. Sorry, I got to keep it friendly for the AM radio people. But don't worry, it's one of the freest societies in the world. Speaking of commercialism here, I got another one from NPR, National Progressive Radio, from Courtney Flat and Laura Sullivan. The U.S. made a breakthrough battery discovery, then gave the technology to China, and remember. Hit that donate button because once again, they are never printing reality. National Progressive Radio and they need our money, comrade. Let's see what they had to say. When a group of engineers and researchers gathered in a warehouse in Mokiltio, Washington, 10 years ago, they knew they were onto something big. They scrounged up tables and chairs, cleared out space in the parking lot for experiments, and got to work. They were building a battery of an ADM redox flow battery based on a design created by two dozen U.S. scientists at a government lab. The batteries were about the size of a fridge, held enough energy to power a house, and could be used for decades. The engineers pictured people plunking them down next to the air conditioners, attaching solar panels to them, and everyone living happily ever after off the grid. Yeah, the utility companies that have their fingers into the government are probably not going to allow that. Just a thought. It was beyond promise, said Chris Howard, one of the engineers who worked there for a US company called Una Energy. We're seeing its functioning as designed and expected. But that's not what happened. Instead of the batteries coming, uh, becoming the next great American success story, the warehouse is now shuttered and empty. All the employees who worked there were laid off, and more than 5,200 miles away, a Chinese company is hard at work making the batteries in Dalian, China. The Chinese company didn't steal this tech, it was given to them by the USDOE, Department of Energy, first in 2017 as part of a sub-license, and later in 2021 as part of a license transfer. An investigation by NPR and the Northwest News Network found the federal agency allowing the tech to, uh, and jobs to move overseas violating its own licensing rules while failing to intervene on behalf of U.S. workers in multiple instances. Now, China's forged ahead, investing millions in the cutting-edge green technology that was supposed to help keep the U.S. and its economy out front. Department of Energy officials declined NPR's request for an interview to explain how the tech that cost U.S. taxpayers millions of dollars ended up in China. I have an idea. After NPR sent department officials written questions, outlined the timeline of events, the federal agency terminated the license with the Chinese company, Dalian Rongqi Power Company Limited. 
Department of Energy takes American manufacturing obligations within its contracts extremely seriously, the department said in a written statement. If the Department of Energy determines that a contractor who owns a DOE-funded patent or downstream license is in violation of its U.S. manufacturing obligations, the Department of Energy will explore all legal remedies. Several U.S. companies have tried to get a license to make the batteries. The department is now conducting an internal review of the licensing of vanadium battery technology and whether this license and others have violated U.S. manufacturing requirements, the statement said. Forever Energy, a Bellevue, Washington-based company, is one of several U.S. companies that have been trying to get a license from the Department of Energy to make the batteries. Joanne Skivaski, Forever Energy's chief financial officer, has been trying to get a hold of the license for more than a year and called the department's decision to allow foreign manufacturing mind-boggling. Not really. They could send it over there, get it made for cheap, and keep the supply chain of getting them restricted to only the rich and the famous. Part of the problem with having the entrepreneurs and engineers around this country being able to get their hands on them is the fact that they can pull them apart, reverse engineer them, and offer up competition or make them themselves. Yes, it does take a license to manufacture, but there are a lot of people off-grid or potential off-gridders who do want to get their hands onto this technology. Or the other side of it, the factory worker now knows how to build this thing and says, hey, I could build this at home. I could quit my job and build this at home. I know why they sent it over there. I know exactly why they sent it over there. This one left over from last week, Taiwan suppliers asked to use Made in China label on Apple products. Report from Brandon Dre. Apple has allegedly told suppliers based in Taiwan on Friday to follow Chinese customs relations and label products Taiwan, China, or Chinese Taipei following House Speaker Pelosi's recent visit to the nation's capital city, Taipei. Nikkei Asia reports the U.S. tech giant urged suppliers to take the matter seriously to circumvent any possible disruptions in shipments of the company's products or components. Apple's announcement comes before the Chinese uh, company releases a slew of new devices between this fall and the beginning of next year, including four iPhone 14 devices, iPads, and Apple Watches, among other products due for an update. Chinese customs agents have reportedly been ordered to check for any import declarations, forms, Documents or cartons that utter the phrase made in Taiwan, if caught violating such rules, suppliers could face penalties up to 4,000 yuan, 592 bucks, or have the shipment rejected altogether. The custom laws have also put suppliers who need to ship materials in other parts from Taiwan to China in a problem as the island requires all exports to carry the words Taiwan or Republic of China. Before Apple issued the warning, iPhone assemblers. Pegatron had its facilities in China undergo a review on Thursday where officials checked imports if the manufacturing origins were mislabeled. Nikkei Asia reports the change in shipments came a day after a senior Pegatron executive and other Taiwanese chip industry leaders met with Pelosi in Taipei at a lunch hosted by President Tsai Ing-wen. 
Suppliers were reportedly told to review and change the labels on cartons and forms for shipments from Taiwan to China. So, a few things to go on with that, a few things to talk about with that, and yeah, China's really pushing their One China thing on this, and Taiwan's not having it. What else do we have? Let's talk about Salman Rushdie. That's an interesting one. Not a real good angle, but uh, Rushdie is stabbed on stage in New York. Another one from our friends at NPR. So hit that donate button once again because they're getting a lot of traction there and they need to continue to put up communist articles to tell you how to be angry at the patriarchy and at capitalism. So, never printing reality, National Progressive Radio, Salman Rushdie, off ventilator and talking after stabbing attack. This is from Dustin Jones and Juliana Kim. Author Salman Rushdie was off ventilator and able to speak. Despite the stabbing attack against him, his agent confirmed to the Dissociated Press on Saturday night. Rushdie, 75, was attacked Friday morning in Chautauqua, New York. Man, and I thought the names in this state were hard to pronounce for out-of-staters. By a man who was rushed the stage where the author was set to speak. New York State Police said Rushdie was transported to local hospital by helicopter with a stab wound to his neck and chest. Author Atish Tassir had earlier tweeted on Saturday that Rushdie was off the ventilator and talking and joking. The tweet has since been deleted on Saturday night. Rushdie's son Zafar wrote on Twitter, Free speech is the whole thing, the whole ball game. Free speech is life itself. Rushdie's agent said on Friday the author had undergone surgery and was on a ventilator with a damaged liver, severed nerves, and his arm that could lose an eye. A 24-year-old man has been charged with attempted murder. Hadi Matar of Fairview, New Jersey, has been charged with attempted murder and assault. On Saturday afternoon, Matar pleaded not guilty. The Dissociated Press reported he's being held without bail, police said. Doesn't New York have a change to its cash bail system where, like, you can't be held without bail? Or is that only if you attack a Republican? The world-renowned author, uh, author rather, was attending a lecture series at Chautauqua Institution as a guest speaker. Hmm? I don't know what just got in my eye, but it hurt. Boy, I'm having a great morning today, aren't I? When the incident occurred, according to a police statement, a male suspect charged the stage and attacked Rushdie. And in an interviewer at approximately 11 a.m. Eastern Time, the suspect was immediately taken into custody. Major Eustine Staniszewski of the state police said in an interview that Henry Reese was treated at a local hospital for a minor head injury that has since been released. Reese is the co-founder of the City of Asylum, a residency program for writers in exile, and was on stage with Rushdie during the attack. 
Chautauqua Institute President Michael Hill said security needs for events are assessed on a case-by-case basis. So one of the things with this guy, and I didn't know anything about this guy, and this goes down into here, um, some of the reasons that he's been having problems here. Rushdie was visiting the institution to discuss with Reese how the U.S. serves as an asylum for writers in exile. Rushdie has written 14 novels, including The Satanic Verses. One of his most popular books resulted in death threats against him from Iran's leader in 1989. Beyond his work as a writer, Rushdie has long championed the importance of freedom of expression. He served as the president of Pan America between 04 and 06, and then the chairman of the Pan World Voices International Library Festival for 10 years. Yeah, the Islamists didn't care for this guy. I've not read the book. I'm actually curious about it, so I've added that to my reading list as well, but I want to see what it is that would drive Iran to go after somebody on U.S. soil for this. Uh, from Fox News, critics call for Biden to immediately end Iran nuclear talks following attempted murder of Salman Rushdie. From Andrew Mark Miller. That would, I don't think he's going to do it, but that would be a powerful move in diplomacy because, I mean, one of the first people to come out and talk about killing Rushdie was Iran's leader. But the Obama admin, and by default the Biden admin, which may or may not be controlled by the Obama admin, that was their their big piece of legislation was pallets of cash to Iran and then having the nuclear deal. So if this is going to be the, the tipping point that takes them off of that, there's got to be something majorly seriously about this. The attempted murder of author Salman Rushdie prompted social media users, including several members of Congress, to voice criticism of the Biden admin's pursuit of a nuclear deal with Iran in light of the country's past support of a fatwa against Rushdie's life. Iran has offered a bounty to anyone who assassinates Salman Rushdie, Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio tweeted on Friday. Today he was stabbed in America. Why is Biden still negotiating a deal with terrorists in Tehran? Oh, I know, I know, I know. Because Tehran owns the Biden admin. The attack comes more than 30 years after Iran's late leader, Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, called for his death in response to Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses, causing Rushdie to require round-the-clock security at various points in his life. I just remember the scene between the the badly programmed Reagan and the badly programmed Ayatollah Khomeini in the uh, Cafe 80s in the future, in Back to the Future, which at this point actually took place in the past. For seven years, all three movies in the Back to the Future franchise have taken place in the past, and I still don't have my hoverboard. But it does look like he is going to be He's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. Maybe lose an eye or something, but he's going to live. He's going to continue writing. So, Godspeed to him. 
As far as the Iran nuclear talks, I don't think they're in any danger of flipping. Let's talk about workers' rights, the economy, and the taxation bill, starting with the Hill. Uh, I think these next two are both op-eds. Yes. This is an op-ed from the Hill. Looming change in worker classifications rules will cost small businesses big bucks. From Gene Marks, opinion contributor, the views expressed by contributors are their own and not the view of the Hill. The views expressed in this program, or rather, in this article are the views of the opinion contributor and not the views of your host, contemporary, or turns of pages productions. Let's read. A lot of attention has been paid to tax increases that are part of the Democrat-backed Inflation Reduction Act that's making its way through Congress. And while these increases are concerning to both businesses and taxpayers, there's another rule coming from the Biden admin that will have an even bigger impact on costs for millions of small businesses, a looming change in worker classification rules. The new rules will result in changing the status of countless independent contractors to employees. Why is that such a big deal? Well, for starters, they're trying to kill it in California. In super progressive California, they're trying to kill it because it makes it almost impossible to make a living. Small businesses rely on independent contractors to perform ad hoc and infrequent tasks that usually do not require the attention of a full-time employee. Often called 1099 workers, thanks to the tax form that needs to be filed with the IRS to report payments of over 600 bucks. These freelancers or gig workers are standalone entrepreneurs who oftentimes serve multiple customers. There are truckers, software developers, project managers, construction workers, content producers, healthcare professionals, counselors, and trainers. Also real estate agents, by the way. We're talking about chicken heads, and I'm not sure where we're going with that. I remember Dennis Leary's skit, uh, skit where his kids wanted to name their dog Chicken Head. They belong to professional organizations that support freelancers, along with millions of others. They get projects and side gigs through platforms such as Fiverr, Craigslist, Upwork, and Freelancer.com. Most of these entrepreneurs operate independently as small business owners themselves and earn entire livelihoods this way. Others enjoy the income those freelancing opportunities provide. But the Biden admin feels these independent contractors need more protections, and so the DOL is taking action. The department now plans to engage in rulemaking on determining employee or independent contractor status under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Jessica Lumen, the acting admin for the Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division, wrote recently on the DOL's blog. We remain committed to ensuring that employees are, are recognized correctly when they are in fact employees so they receive the protections of the FLSA provides. The DOL's new rule allows them to throw or will throw away rather than multiple requirements that have long been used to determine whether freelancers truly independent or should be classified as an employee and replace those requirements with a more simplified ABC test. These new rules focus on just three factors. A, the worker is free from the control and direction of the hirer in connection with the performance of the work. B, the worker performs the work that's outside the usual course of the hiring business's entity. 
and C, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business. What they're trying to do, and I know what they're trying to do with this, it actually goes along with, and I'm not gonna say the name of the company that I'm taking my real estate testing. Because in Wisconsin, in order to take the, uh, to get the license, you have to take the test, obviously. But you also have to have documentation of a 72-hour course. And it's usually offered through the agencies that are going to be putting people out there. So I'm taking the course from X agency and the teacher, and I thought this was pretty damn based, I'm not gonna lie. But the, the teacher of the course, it's a, it's a pre-recorded audio course that I have on a flash drive, had said that for independent contractor rules, he tries to keep his income as low as possible, which meant that most of the time when they go to the mortgage, they have to go through his wife's income. Because obviously for taxation reasons, that's that's the way that they, they go back and do that. And I thought that was pretty based, but that's the kind of practice that they're trying to, to cut down. The people who are driving for a trucking company, the people who are signed on, like at the company that I used to work for, that had their own trucks, their company trucks, but they also had several independent uh, contractors, independent owner operators sign on that weren't subject to the employee driver rules, taxes, etc. Who are also trying to keep their income as low as possible on paper for taxation purposes. They're trying to crack down on that so they're taking out as much as they can in taxes. They want you What's the, what's the form? They want you to be a W-4 employee, not a 1099 employee. So they can borrow your taxes through you for, throughout the year. And another company that I worked for when I lived in uh, Kenosha. And that guy actually got busted for trying to, to pull that as a scam. When I started working there, he was going under the table because he hadn't had all the taxation information set up yet and he was trying to get his trucks on the road. But... He said, okay, well, I'll pay you X amount of dollars under the table. Come in here. You're the new service manager. Come in here, get everything set up, etc." Which was fine. And I did. But he started pulling taxes about three weeks out of this. And I got a call years later from the Department of Workforce Development in Wisconsin telling me that I needed to go talk to one of their field agents because I was being investigated for tax evasion because I was listed, I was there under his listing as an employee, like he told me I was an employee, he was taking taxes out like an employee, but he had me and everybody else that worked for the place listed, and I brought in the, the W4s to show it, as independent contractors. That's how he had us listed, and he was taking the taxes out of our checks and putting them in his pocket. He was embezzling off of himself is what he was doing. And now he's in prison. Actually, he's probably out by now because I think he only did a nickel for it, but yeah, now he's in prison. But yeah, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get more people on the W-4 so they can borrow money from, uh, from them throughout the year. Here's another one, words that you never thought you'd see. Opinion, 
also from Washington Post. Same disclaimer as before. A victory for the IRS is a victory for America. Boo! From Paul Waldman. During their first debate in 2016, Hillary suggested that Trump was refusing to release his tax returns to the public because they would reveal that he paid no income taxes, despite his considerable wealth. Trump leaned into the microphone and said, That makes me smart. As far as Trump is concerned, paying taxes makes you a sucker, a loser, a chump. Where's the lie? While there are a few other Republicans who will say it's so forthrightly, many of them think that too. And they spent years trying to make sure that only the little people have to pay. No, I've spent years trying to make sure that nobody has to pay because taxation is theft. But with the pending passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, we may finally begin to turn the tide in a war only one side has been fighting, a war against not just the Internal Revenue Service, but the very idea that everyone should pay their taxes. Boo! Naturally, Republicans are enraged, but this is something all Americans should celebrate. Found the simp. The bill contains nearly $80 billion for the IRS, in addition to its existing budget spread out over the next decade. The biggest chunk is for enforcement, i.e. making sure people pay what they owe. But there's also lots of money to update systems and improve customer service. Right now, the agency struggles. Dude, you're not a customer, you're a slave to the IRS. Right now, the agency struggles with outdated equipment, insufficient staffing, and overwhelming backlogs of paperwork. Banning says, taxation is kinda gay. Why are you gay? Tell me, why are you gay? Taxation, it is gay. Desperate and demoralized state of the IRS is no accident. It's the result of purposeful campaign by congressional Republicans to gut the agency. Based. So it can't do its job. Based. Particularly when it comes to ensuring that the wealthy meet their tax obligations. So they can pass it along to the rest of us. If the GOP had a slogan to describe its stance toward the IRS, it would be defund the police. Based. The result has been fewer audits, based, a shrinking staff and much larger federal deficit, based, not the federal deficit, you got to stop your spending, but a much small, uh, shrinking staff, based, hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes go uncollected, based, by some estimates as much as a trillion dollars a year, based, that ought to be used to fund necessary programs, unbased. The agency is woefully outmatched when it tries to take make the rich and super rich who can employ squadrons of accountants and lawyers pay what they owe. Based. The IRS estimates that over the next decade it will need to hire 52,000 employees just to maintain its current inadequate staff levels because of retirement and attrition. With this bill, it would be able to hire as many as 87,000 new employees over that period. So, of course, Republicans are saying falsely that the IRS will hire 87,000 agents who are going to bust down your door and root through your underwear drawer, like they did with Melania. Which they will, by the way. This has nothing to do with the super rich. The super rich are the Democrat donors. 
Always have been. Always will be. Yeah, if I was a customer, I'd get an itemization of what I'm buying. It's going after the little people because they can't afford to go and fight it. And it's going to be used politically more than anything. The dissenters are going to get hit. The fact that I just said on Twitch that I try to keep my income as low as possible for taxation at the end of the year is probably going to net me an audit this next year. They spun out fantasies of IRS violence, pretending that bringing the IRS into the 21st century and hiring enough employees to make sure the agency operates well will be uh, in practice mean that heavily armed agents could literally be coming for you and your family. Okay, and we're to cut this here, but my last question for you, Mr. What was your name? Mr. Waldman is, if they're not coming for me and my family, if they're only going after the rich and their private security, and the lawyers, why do they need so many guns and so much ammo? That's a question that I have for you. From the Daily Wire. Isn't it almost Orwellian? ABC anchor spars with White House Press Secretary over whether Inflation Reduction Act actually reduces inflation. New names for the Inflation Reduction Act in the chat. Put it down if you've got it here. I've got, I've already claimed the Inflation Production Act. But see what else you've got. What do you guys got for it? What do you guys call it? From John Rig uh, Rigolizzo. ABC News anchor Jonathan Carl and White House Press Secretary Token Diversity Hire had a tense exchange over the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and whether it would actually reduce inflation. While appearing on this week on Sunday, Diversity Hire touted the bill, which passed the House on Friday and is expected to be signed by President Biden this week. But Carl noted that despite the bill's name, the Congressional Budget Office said it would have a minimal impact on inflation. No video. I need the Jean Pierre prop. Inflation has been a number one priority for the president, Low, lowering costs and been a number one priority for this president, said Diversity Hire. If you look what Democrats in Congress did with the Inflation Re Bill Reduction Act, the work of this president, you see that the anti-inflation bill, you see that it's going to lower costs for Americans. Carl took issue with John Pierre's framing. Well, let me ask you, it's called the Inflation Reduction Act, but the Congressional Budget Office, which is nonpartisan, said that it would be a negligible impact on inflation this year and barely impact inflation of all next year. Isn't it almost Orwellian, Carl said. How can you call it the Inflation Reduction Act when the nonpartisan experts say it's not going to bring inflation down? I, I appreciate this question. We actually addressed this with the CBO. It was the top line number. We told them that they had to stop what they were saying because it, it's devastating to our narrative. And there's more in that that shows that we'll have the, the money from. Remember, we're doing this too. It's making sure the billionaires in corporate America are paying their fair share and making sure the tax code is a little bit more fair so that when you do that, it is in totality. You will see that it will bring down and lower the de deficit and help fight inflation. Now, it just gives the government a whole bunch more money to spend on nothing. 
Here's one that I've been trying to get to for two weeks. Amazon agrees to purchase mass-based iRobot for $1.7 billion. And from the other article that we'll read on this topic, I am not the only person who found a problem with this. From WCVB5 ABC, no author given. Retail and tech giant Amazon has agreed to purse mass-based consumer robotics company iRobot, the company has announced on Friday morning. Not this past Friday, the Friday before. That's how far behind the eight ball I've been on this. Bedford-based iRobot is known for making Roomba robotic vacuums and other cleaning tools. According to Friday's announcement, Amazon will purchase the company in an all-cash transaction worth $1.7 billion, which is 61 bucks a share. The company's stock price closed Thursday at $49.99. Amazon shares our passion for building thoughtful innovations that empower people to do more at home. And I cannot think of a better place for our team to continue our mission, said iRobot CEO Colin Engel, who will stay on to lead iRobot after the merger. I'm hugely excited to be a part of Amazon and see what we can build together for customers in the years ahead. And by the way, there was an ad on one of the earlier um, articles talking about using your Alexa, your government listening device, to power your Roomba. Give it a minute, I'll explain to you why. That's a bad idea. Customers love iRobot products, and I'm excited to work with the iRobot team to invent ways that make customers' lives easier and more enjoyable. Dave Limp, CF, uh, CF, I keep trying to say CF, CVP, Senior Vice President of Amazon Devices, said in a statement, oh, I'm sure that that's not what you're looking for here. Let's move on to the Insider article. Amazon bought the company that makes the Roomba. Antitrust researchers and data privacy experts say it's the most dangerous, threatening acquisition in the company's history. Meanwhile, most of the people who are going to be buying it now already have the Alexa in their home. From Catherine Tangalakis Lippert. After Amazon on Friday acquired iRobot, the company that creates Roomba vacuums, data privacy experts, and antitrust researchers quickly raised alarms over the tech giant using the purchase to vacuum up personal information from inside users' homes, which they're already doing with the Alexa, and, yes, to an extent, to a much bigger extent, actually, with this. So it's already happening, it just gives them another avenue to do so. Advanced Roomba vacuums have an internal mapping technology that learns the floor plan of users' homes. The devices can also adapt to and remember up to 10 different floor plans so users can carry their robot to another floor or a separate home where the robot will recognize its location and clean as instructed, according to press releases by iRobot. Some models have low-resolution cameras to avoid obstacles and aid in mapping. People tend to think of Amazon as an online seller uh, company, but Amazon is a surveillance company that is at the core of its business model, and that's what drives its monopoly in lower uh, power and profit, said Evan Greer, director of the nonprofit digital rights organization Fight for the Future, told Wired. 
Amazon wants to have its hands everywhere, and acquiring the company that's essentially built on mapping the inside of people's homes seems like a natural extension of the surveillance reach that Amazon already has. Ron Knox, senior researcher and writer for the Institute of Local Self-Reliance, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting small businesses and fighting corporate monopolies, said in a series of tweets after the acquisition was announced that the $1.7 billion deal, the fourth largest acquisition in Amazon's portfolio, may be the most dangerous threatening acquisition in the companies. In the company, rather. You know what's weird is I actually wanted one of those things for a while. I was thinking about even grabbing one recently. Not anymore. The acquisition, Knox told Insider, is uniquely dangerous for several reasons. First, Amazon will be acquiring an established market share, not a startup, which he said will cut off competition in a market that already isn't competitive and can further Amazon's market monopoly. Fair. Second, because of the massive amounts of data that comes with accessing iRobot's established data sets, Amazon can collect new information through the robots. I think this feels really intrusive to people, and it should, Knox told Insider. Like when people buy a Roomba, it's because they want clean floors. They don't buy a Roomba because to have a little robot inside your house spying on the layout of your home, and whether or not you have a crib in your house, or whether or not there are pet toys and a pet bed under the room of your house, so it can funnel that information to Amazon, and Amazon can push whatever dog toy ads to you next time you log in. Not only that, but also, Surveillance in the other aspect, just like Banning said, the FBI will have your floor plan. No, thank you. Screw you. Get a warrant. Another one we've been trying to get to for a week. Beefing up security. Madison County to put AR-15s in schools. From Kimberly King. This year, Madison County Schools will have AR-15 semi-automatic guns locked in safes for student resource officers to use if there's ever a gunman in school. Based! Having a deputy armed with a handgun just isn't enough to stop those animals, Sheriff Buddy Harwood said. That's why I've decided to arm all my school resource officers with AR-style rifles. I'm sure Colt appreciated that too. Uh, school superintendent Will Hoffman confirmed that he and the county school board fully support the program. In a Facebook post in June, Harwood announced his plan, said the SROs would get hours of training. See Harwood's statement here. Maybe. Maybe we can't see Harwood's statement. Good afternoon. As most of y'all know, I'm not an individual who likes to stand behind a podium and give live Facebook updates or likes to talk to uh, the news when they come to Madison County. I just focus on keeping the citizens of Madison County safe. But over the past few days, I have uh, been working on some stuff. I've uh, troubled at some stuff that's going on in our county and our nation and uh, very distraught about uh, the condition that our country is going in. It's, it's going in a condition where, ladies and gentlemen, if we don't put the brakes on and do an about face, we're headed to uh, destruction. Over 
the past few weeks, we've had situations going on in our schools all around us, tragedy going on every day you turn the TV on. We've got somebody's been shot, somebody's been stabbed, somebody's been murdered, raped, and uh, you know, we live in Western North Carolina, a rural county, but um, we've got to be prepared even in our rural counties for uh, the enemy when he tries to come in and deter our children, when he tries to come in and destroy our children. We've got to be prepared for that. So I have prepared a statement, what we're going to do uh, uh, in the Madison County school systems this coming year to ensure that our kids are going to be safe as possible. So I'm going to read this statement where next week uh, some uh, reporter won't call and say, Sheriff, on this day you said that. I've got a fact check statement here on what I'm actually going to say and the things we're going to be doing. So if you'll bear with me, let me read this statement and thank you very much for your time. All right, I can't listen to that anymore because the the audio is terrible. But yeah, that is like probably one of the more base things I've heard. Yes, put the ARs in the school. Make sure that the kids can't get at them unless they are in a specifically sanctioned class for doing so. But yes, put the AR in the school. I'd rather you have it in the off, uh, resource officer's vehicle, but I understand. So yes, super based. Here's an interesting one on the jab. Democrat mega donors jumping ship because they lied about the vaccine. He donated 20 million to the DNC and couldn't get them to return a phone call. Here, Steve Kirsch was a Democratic Party mega donor. He says he's given more than $20 million to help elect Democrats, and now he might just be jumping ship. Steve Kirsch is an entrepreneur, self-made success story, and joins us now to explain his reasoning. Steve, when did the Democratic Party start going south with you? Well, when they violated my, my, my trust, Brian, um, you know, they told the, the agencies, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH said that these vaccines were safe and effective. And when I started seeing my friends die and be injured and I started looking at the data, uh, there was no question that this vaccine is the most dangerous vaccine ever created by man. It is a thousand times more deadly than the smallpox vaccine, and that's too unsafe for people to use. And I could not get even a single minute in front of any Democratic congressman. The best I got was that Ro Khan uh, uh, gave me a, to a staff member who took two months to get back to me. And when I asked if she had read what I had sent her, she said, no, it disagreed with the CDC, so it's not right. And so I didn't really read it. So, and so that's as far as I ever got. Uh, but you didn't stop there. You did your own research. What did you find? What, what, what did you find was effective? And what was the reaction when you put it out there? Well, I, what I found was uh, that hundreds of thousands of Americans have been killed by this vaccine and millions have been injured. And, you know, uh, clearly you, you are more likely to be injured or dead from the vaccine than if you were unvaccinated. So what they're saying and what the reality is, is completely opposite. There is a uh, conservative radio show commentator. Uh, his name is Wayne Root. He had a wedding eight months ago and he had about half conservatives and and ha yeah. well, half of his. They're all pretty much conservatives. OK, but half were vaccinated and half were not vaccinated. And he found that of the hundred people that were vaccinated, he had 26 
people who were seriously injured, and he had seven people who died. And in the unvaccinated group, he had zero and zero. So, Steve, now, yeah, we don't know. That like, is statistically impossible right. if the vaccines are safe. Right. So we don't... We I had my voice off. So anyway, what I had said on that last one before I realized that my voice was off so I could uh, take a drink, because again, I'm doing wonderfully this morning, is for, for the record, for YouTube, for Twitch, and the upcoming YouTube upload again, the vaccine is 100% safe and nothing bad could happen to it. And this thing with the vaccinated in the two army groups is a complete coincidence and everybody should run out and go get the vaccine. Wink, wink, honk, honk, nudge, nudge. Make sure that you go and tell Johnson & Johnson how much you love them. We're going to grab just a couple more here and head out of here for the day because Daily Ignoramus is on. I just uh, went out and saw that. While I was taking a drink, I looked over, I checked over on the Twitch side, and yep, he sure is going. Um, from NBC, Snapchat will let parents see whom their kids are chatting with. Yeah. They should have been doing that beginning. And by the way, parents, you should still be parenting. Yes, I understand that there's the technology gap in there. And kids are always gonna go back to try to use an unfamiliar technology to go have a conversation with their friends that their parents can't go back and spy on. We did it with instant messaging back in the day. We did it with texting back in the day so they couldn't overhear our phone calls. And yes, now Snapchat with the instant delete as the next step, but you know, now that they're going to come back in here and let parents get into it, there's going to be the next technology that jumps up and takes them back out of the equation. But yes, your parents should be able to see what you're on with with your Snapchat, if you're a minor at least. Not now, obviously. But if you're a minor, they should be able to. And parents, you should parent. From Ben Goggin. Snapchat, the popular disappearing photo and chat app favored among many teens, has announced that a new feature called the Family Center will be released globally in the coming weeks, giving parents the ability to look in on whom their kids are chatting with. Family Center is designed to reflect the way that parents engage with their teens in the real world, where parents usually know who their teens are friends with and when they're uh, they're hanging out, but don't eavesdrop on their private conversations, the company said in a press release. According to press materials, the new feature requires both the child and parent consent to the monitoring. Once a parent has been given access to monitor the teen's account, they'll be able to see a list of their teen's friends and report anything they find suspicious. As designed, the tool would not notify a parent of any alternative Snapchat accounts the child might have. 
which I guarantee you they will. The announcement of the new feature comes amid mounting pressure from activists and lawmakers. For years, parents of teens who have died after purchasing drugs laced with fentanyl from people on Snapchat have been calling for the company to work to prevent such tragedies from happening again. Many have asked the company to allow parent parental monitoring apps access to Snapchat chats so parents can be alerted about certain types of chats and content deemed dangerous. The people who are lacing their drugs with fentanyl that are killing the people that they're selling to, those people are really stupid. You can't make money, well, you can still make money, but not in the same level as you were if you're killing your customer base quickly. I mean, R.J. Reynolds has been killing their customer base for 100 years, but that's a completely different story. Same with Dow Chemical. But it's generally not a good practice to, to kill them quickly as kids. Especially if you're selling drugs. You got a lifelong customer. At least until they turn 30 and realize that they're yuppie and, you know, now they got two kids in the cradle and they have to go clean up their life and tell you how much you have to go clean up yours. The people you smoked weed with are now telling you how evil weed is. But yes, you should still be parenting no matter what. And yeah, if it's that important to you, your kids shouldn't have Snapchat. Plain and simple. And yes, they will move in and find a new one that you guys don't know about and can't come back and control. That's the nature of social media. It always changes. Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. Uh, the parent versus kid tech arms race. Yeah, that's that's probably the most accurate way to put that. It's not a scene either. It's a goddamn arms race. And this one here, because I mean, most of you guys know that I uh, am a very, very big fan of Boston. Even though I'm not a fan of the the actual city, the quality of life there. Some of the lifestyle, the accent notably, and the Red Sox I still enjoy. So I saw this, oh, and by the way, Fallout 4 as well. I saw this today and I said, you know what? We gotta talk about this. Faneuil Hall protesters urge officials to change name of Boston Landmark. From WCVB5 ABC out of Boston. Protesters gathered Wednesday in Boston City Hall to urge officials to change the name of Faneuil Hall. Activists say the Boston landmark namesake, Peter Faneuil, was a slave owner and a trafficker. That's right, a slave owner again. Demonstrators filed into the city council chamber for a brief silence sit-in during a regularly scheduled city council hearing Wednesday afternoon. Then, after a few minutes, the peaceful group made its way across the street to Faneuil Hall. Organizers say they're optimistic that the Boston Mayor, Michelle Wu, and the Boston City Council will be receptive to the name change. 
We feel confident City Council will initiate legislation within the next few weeks that will convene a City Council hearing so we can have a real conversation about the name change then moving forward towards racial repair and reparations and reconciliation in the city, said Reverend Kevin Peterson of the New Democracy Coalition. This is the best part. Daniel Hall is the historical site where the nation's first town meeting took place. The 280-year-old building. That's right. It has had that name for 280 years. And right now is the first time it's becoming a problem. Almost three centuries it has been Faneuil Hall. It's also a popular tourist attraction, anchoring normally uh, normally busy shopping and dining area. They're coming for everything, guys. I am not reading that on air. I know I've done more with chat today than I usually have, mostly just to make sure that my audio issues aren't going, because I can still see the excess noise in my soundbar, but... You guys say it sounds good, and that's all that I need. All right. Two more. We'll do two more, and then we'll head out of here for the day. Just one of them is a victory lap. From RNC Research, Kamala Harris has a word salad. Again. And then we've got a comment on it underneath. With the exploration of space being defined in the 20th century, we know that living in this century, we must think about where we now stand and where we must go. So while it was defined quite well in the 20th century, the opportunity of space must guide our work in the 21st century. With the exploration of space, Kevin Orcutt says, this is what happens when you write a speech using the predictive text bar on your phone. All right, and the last one, a little bit of a victory lap for everybody else here. From CNN Business, CNN Chief Legal Analyst, Jeffrey Tubin will exit the network after 20 years. Minus the six months that he was suspended, of course. From Oliver Dar uh, Darcy. Jeffrey Tubin said Friday that he will depart CNN, where he served most recently as chief legal analyst, uh, analyst rather, putting an end to a 20-year run at the network, in which he provided no-holds-barred commentary and suffered a setback after a scandal which he in inadvertently exposed himself to co-workers on a video call. Friends, I've decided that after 20 years, I'm leaving CNN after my vacation, Tubin wrote on Twitter. It was great to spend my last day on air with pals Wolf Blitzer, Anderson Cooper, and Don Lemon. Tubin, who was last on the air on August 4th, added, I love all my former colleagues. In his tweet, Tubin, the author of a number of best-selling books, teased the next nonfiction work about the Oklahoma City bombing, which is due out in 2023. And I will not be reading. There will be a million copies of it, maybe even 10 million copies of it, in a warehouse in China. But hey, they sold. 
A CNN spokesperson said, We are grateful for Jeffrey's contributions to the network over the years and wish him all the best in the future endeavors. Now, I didn't include the tweet that went along with this, but uh, when I read this on the tweet, I found a reply going through the comments that said, He's leaving CNN. I wonder if he's going solo now. And I commented back and I said, that's actually, ironically, the reason that he got suspended in the first place. All right, let's do rules of acquisition. Let's head out of here for the day. So the last thing we do on our cultural close is because I'm into geekdom, nerddom, etc is that we go through and we're actually getting down there into the latter half of the uh the list well, we still got a ways to go i guess but i'm already starting to think about what it is that we're going to do next after this because i'm always thinking about how to improve the show so as we always do on monday we look through one of the rules of acquisition from the ultra capitalist ferengi Decide how it was used in the show for their ultra-capitalist society and how we can use it in our everyday lives as capitalists as we are. I've already made one person mad by doing this too. And by the way, if you are a, just a follower, you don't have to be a sub for that one. There is a Ferengi emote in the emote bar if you want to use that. I am setting up the spicy emotes for the tier two. By the way, the next person who subs on Twitch will push me over the threshold for another payout. Just so you know. I'm not telling you. I'm not begging. But the next sub that I get will push me over the threshold. I looked before we got started. Alright, what was the last one that we did? Okay, there we were. We did the 94th. I always thought we were already up to 100. No, we did the 94th last time. Females and finances don't mix. You're not thinking straight and clearly when you're going in and trying to impress the woman you're trying to mate with. We talked about that last week. The 95th rule of acquisition is expand or die. And this is actually from outside of uh, Voyager. Or I'm sorry, outside of Deep Space Nine in a Voyager episode. One of the very few Voyager episodes to feature a Ferengi, by the way. Because of them being all the way out in the Delta Quadrant and not having very much contact with the L4 Beta Quadrants where the Ferengi live. But there was one, and it was a carryover from a Next Generation episode featuring the Ferengi who were sucked through a wormhole with no idea of where they came out. And, well, the Voyager found them. And they found them in a civilization playing gods because they had the technology that the otherwise mostly Bronze Age civilization did not have and did not understand. So they were seen as gods among them. Trying to change the society over into the more capitalistic society that would go along with the Ferengi. But regardless, still something interesting to watch. But the rule of acquisition is expand or die. That's right. 
If you have the opportunity to expand your business out into something else, if you don't do it, somebody else will. Now, with that being said, we are seeing this right now a little bit with the criticisms of Amazon and Roomba right now because they are expanding and they're in no, no situation of dying. But honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that Amazon was picking it up, somebody else would have. Either Roomba themselves would have expanded and taken over other markets or somebody else would have jumped in and said, hey, I like your technology of vacuuming and I totally don't want to do anything with surveillance. So how about you just uh, let us have your vacuum design and we'll buy your company for X amount and we would still be being surveilled, but maybe it would be by Meta this time instead of by, uh, by Amazon. But you should. I think Jake with uh, Freedom Scoop was a little bit more aggressive with expansion than he should have been, but he did pick up some uh, some really, really good acquisitions throughout it. And it was the same thing when I looked. When I saw that Freckles and Brit was going to be a thing, I said, Jake, we need to do this. We have no, almost no female influence on our network. We need to grab Jessica Green and we need to grab the Freckles and Brit show right away because Otherwise, somebody else is going to come back and try to put them onto a network, and that's the thing. And it was the same thing with what I'm trying to do with Turns of Pages to get that all up and started to try to get uh, Steven and Porch Boys and everybody else involved in this because we need something that's by the people for the people. But I've looked into this as well. I want to do more of that. I see where Daily Wire, Tim Cast are trying to get into network programming, movies. I want to get into music because I know more musicians than I know producers and directors and video game design giving a platform and an opportunity to people like mr behavior on a an independent video game company producer production run that is not controlled by the woke mob i'm looking forward even even if we don't have the website started i'm looking forward into other niche ways that we can get into the market that other people aren't doing because we have to expand the woke companies have their grip and they're losing. It's time to expand. It's time to do more. Whatever your business venture is in, expand, grow it. Otherwise, somebody else around you will. And use that expansion to come back and try to push you back out. So, with that, 95th rule of acquisition, expand or die. We're going to head out of here for the day. And those of you over on the Twitch side, which it looks like quite a bit of you, are going to stick with me as we go over and raid the Daily Ignoramus. So let's head out of here for the day, shall we? I have to go find my outro music. I, I think a lot of the problems that I'm having technically are coming from the restart that I did in sort of the midst of everything because it was calling for a virus update and restart. I'm gonna fix because that little bit of noise at the bottom of my audio bar is bothering me. I know you guys say you can't hear it. I, I can see it and it bothers me. So we'll get that fixed. Let's head out of here for the day. But with that, we are going to head out of here for the day. Thanks everybody who came by, chatted with us in the live chat, hung out with me, talked about the news, talked about how you felt about it, and really, really kept the live chat going. Thanks Harvey McLeod for changing over the topic because I didn't get it changed over in the midst of all the other problems that I was having here. As of tomorrow morning, we should be back up on the backup channel and since I've been recording, I'm going to edit out some of the technical issues from the beginning, but this episode will be up on the backup channel as well. So uh, you'll get a link for that and hopefully we'll get some subscriptions for that over on 
the uh, on the YouTube side for the backup channel. This will also be uploaded to the main channel once we are done, so definitely watch for that as well. And we are going back to the audio platform. That's the reason that I am picking up and doing a recording alongside of the regular streamed episode, so we can get that up to the audio platform sooner because it takes almost 24 hours to get anything to process over on YouTube right now. So I need to put myself the note up there, remind myself to hit the record button at the same time as the start stream button every day. But that is a little bit of backend stuff. Look forward to new stuff over on Spotify, over on Apple Podcasts, over on Google Play, and over on Stitcher. Look for us over there. Otherwise, look for us here later on today with Fallout 3, we'll probably be doing some more Metro exploration because that seems to be getting a little bit more traction. We seem to be getting a few more people watching that than the regular main story here. Plus, I would like to spend some time and explore the Capital Wasteland with you, but that will be decided on the fly as we go. Stick around if you're over on the Twitch side as we go over to the Daily Ignoramus. Looking forward to seeing more of you guys here tomorrow and tonight. And until then, I am Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Take care.